Hello, and welcome to UX Leadership by Design, the podcast by and for UX design leaders. I'm your host, Mark Baldino. Podcast is and always will be brought to you by Fuzzy Math, the user experience design consultancy that brings consumer grade UX to the enterprise. Uh, Fuzzy Math, uh, we love to partner with internal design teams, um, uh, closely collaborate with them to ensure that uh, they have the right people um, in the right seats uh, and that they're following the right process and really that they're delivering the appropriate value to their organization. Today on the podcast, we are fortunate to talk to Alfred Kahn, who's a design leader that lives for helping um, design teams navigate complex problem spaces um, that are kind of awash in a a sea of data. Um, And Alfred helps teams in a number of ways, including acting as a fractional uh, design lead. Uh, And he's writing a book, which we learned at the end. And I don't think you'll be surprised that he's writing a book because there's an insane amount of knowledge uh, that Alfred is going to drop in really digestible chunks. Uh, I talk too much and um, I have lots of filler words. And Alfred does not. He gets right to the point. So I think you're going to enjoy it um, and learn a lot about how product leaders can get the most value from the design team and ensure that they are shifting from being kind of a tactical resource to a strategic resource. So thanks for joining us. Alfred, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my it's my pleasure. Um, uh, as with most podcasts and and with UX Leadership by Design, I love to give people um, a bit of a chance to uh, maybe talk about a few highlights in their career, how they got to where they are. Um, I think specifically in kind of the product and design space, it's always an interesting path for folks um, to get there, and it's. Uh, generally a little bit of a, a, you know, a little bit of a weaving path, maybe not as direct as some other careers. So give the um, listeners a a sense of um, how you got to where you are and what that, what that sort of journey looked like for you. Sure. Yeah. I I mean, fun fact is I started out in the film business and um, evolved into the product design and going through numerous sort of iterations. And really most of my roles have been uh, in places like financial services and uh, governance, risk, compliance, construction tech. And they're all like complex problem spaces with a lot of data. And so what I like to do is bring a sort of consumer sensibility to the design of these products and help the team sort of create um, experiences that people look forward to coming to work to rather than having feeling like they're banging their head against a wall. Is that consumer facing um, orientation? Is that because of your background in film? Is that like a more natural space? You felt like it wasn't in financial services? No, it's just a recognition that the web is part of everyone's lives. And the, the, because of the sort of speed that the consumer world works at, it's evolved a lot more quickly than the B2B world. And that the elegance of that experience is something that people are surprised when they don't have that when they come to work. So that's what was driving that. Yeah. And what was the was there was the transition long or was it like one day I'm in sort of film and the next day I'm 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 in. Yeah, it was it, it was I did a brief stint with some very rudimentary uh, coding and quickly realized not for me. And what, what really appealed to me was the whole design of the experience. And I focused on that and um, the rest is history. And what sort of like what roles were you filling or maybe where kind of where what role are you in right now? Well, my most recent role was as VP of product design at Warner Music Group. So, again, 
doesn't really fit in with finance and GCR, but you know, the same criteria, underlying criteria at play of, of complex problems and, and a, lot, a surprising amount of data in the music business. Um, and most of my roles have been, certainly over the last 15 years, have been in that type of leadership where I'm leading a team of you know, 10 to 25 designers across disciplines. Uh, I've had research, content strategy, and even QA reporting to me. And as well, it's like at JP Morgan, I had the front end development team reporting to me as well. So real, real collection of, of disciplines and folks under the kind of product. Anything that has a big impact on the experience. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. What did you see was like trends over time or as you're maybe reflecting back on that, like what stands out to you? What were maybe shifts in the perception of design shifts in the roles that were under your you know you know in your group or just kind of your uh you said you know kind of alluded to uh anything that had a big impact was that something you you put under your purview or would you just start to see like that's a trend of 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 what my role is sort of encompassing um you know a lot of that is driven by the culture of the company what the perception is of what is part of design and um the the big evolution has been that there's been a increasing maturity in the perspective uh, on design so at first you know oh just make some wireframes and we'll build that and now it's 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 the intersection between product and ux has gotten a lot deeper and the the understanding of what the the value that design can deliver is starting to get more sophisticated not everywhere um but you know the, the more forward-looking companies understand that design is much more than creating screens and and um even user flows that it's it's about uh conceptualizing and and evaluating products i've asked this before on the podcast if i'm if, if someone's looking for a design lead role or wants to get in design leadership, maybe they're interviewing or they're at an organization like uh, you, you mentioned that the, the organization has an understanding of the value. Like what signs do you look out for as, as a design leader that this organization is going to embrace this, or this is going to be a, a, you know, uphill climb. So I have to be you know, willing to put a few years in. Are there any telltale signs in the organizations you've worked in of like, okay, they, they quote unquote kind of get it or they don't and it's part of your job to, hey, pull them along? That's a little difficult to tease apart in the sense that it's <laughs> all of those things together. Okay. Um, you know, certainly the maturity of the organization, if, if an organization treats design as kind of a, a consulting resource that they're just brought in for specific tasks and then, you know, and they're sent away that's not a good sign that and and that's something that ultimately it has to be both top down and bottom up meaning that the the leadership of the of the company needs to understand that that's a problem and and commit to fixing it but the design team can do a lot to to address that and to sort of help that process along so the first thing is, you know, many designers uh, chafe at the idea of not having a seat at the table, and which is kind of what we were just talking about. But, you know, the reality is that 
no one's going to give us a seat at the table. We have to earn it. And so the, the first thing I suggest to people is focus on metrics of value. So you 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 do work. Part of that work should be a baselining the current situation and then measuring the impact that your design work has made on the outcome that is supposed to be achieved. Then you can have then you have some numbers that you can go back and you can socialize and help people understand. Wow, okay, that's that was the benefit that was realized by working with the design team, and that coupled with an idea of like how do you make other people more successful by doing that then they're going to want to work with you because it makes their jobs easier and makes them have more impact and uh eventually there'll be some recognition of that but you know we shouldn't shy away from tooting our own horn so to speak not hiding our our good work under a bushel but um yeah it's it's it can be a, a longish process. Yeah. So are you doing those like um, that metrics of value, like kind of in the background? Are you asking for permission? Like, I think sometimes that is uh, that's a hurdle that people face. And in the short sure. term, it's produce, 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 produce. It's this tactical kind of output. And I think what you're alluding to is let's start to be a listening device for strategic metrics of value that are strategic strategically important for the business. And sometimes that first step is like, there's so much going on in the tactical right. push, push, push. So am I hearing that right? Like, how do you, how do you make that first step of, of doing that listening? Start small, choose one thing and, and uh, either a small project or some aspect of measurement. And I, I realize all this is very abstract what I'm talking about right now, but you, know, you have to find that entry point where you can get people to read, oh, yeah, we should measure that. And then um, use that as a, a, a building block that you can then expand from. So, you know, big changes almost always start in a small way. And if you try and do like radically change the culture and it typically fails and it's just a lot of more work than it needs to be. I wonder if people who are who don't have a seat at the table, I think from a leadership perspective, we see that like it has to be slow. It has to be incremental. It's not just this big shift we can do. And when I think you're in leadership, it's easy to see that it's going to take steps when you're maybe not in leadership. It's harder to see because it feels like it's taking a really, really long time. So I'm a I'm an individual contributor as a designer, and I'm wondering why why is it taking so long for my for my design team to start delivering strategically, but the probably the design lead knows internally, like, okay, this is going to take a long time for us. We're building this incrementally. And it's just, it's just kind of two sides of, of where you sit in an organization. Sometimes easier to see that that changes is going to take time. And it's, it's really hard to ask for patience of your team. Sometimes it's really hard to ask leader, you know, leadership upwards for patience in terms of like, you know, the delivery from the design team as well. Yeah, I mean, that that sort of what level do you fly at is a big question. And it, and when you're when you're at sea level, when you're on the ground doing things, it's very hard to see the bigger picture and maintain that perspective. But, you know, I think the key is always to, to try and create alliances. So and, and I go back to what I said earlier about making other people successful. 
if you can make the product leader successful through your work, then they are going to um, campaign on your behalf so that you make them your champions. And then eventually you get to the point where they realize, oh, well, we need to have a design leader and you're the person and you can make, you can do all these things so that I don't have to, and I can rely on you because I have this track record with you. You're, you're familiar. It's much easier to do that than to be a senior designer and then get a, like a manager role from a senior designer. Interesting. What's that? Um, well, how do we, can you dive into them making allies out of product leaders? Are there any tips, tricks? I mean, you, said start small find values obviously get create some wins that are mutual wins but like and if there's a specific example um you don't need to name names i'm just kind of curious if there's a specific example of like this is when i found an ally or demonstrated you know real value and made other people look like you know winners yeah i think i'm 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 going to sort of synthesize a bunch of different experiences into sort of some abstract uh cases so one is in an organization that does not have a very sophisticated perspective on product design where they're focusing on output rather than outcomes. And it's all about deliver, deliver, deliver. Well, never be an impediment to delivery. Be like, think of your work as making the best out of the situation so that you can deliver the, the best design you can given the constraints that you have and, and focus on solving the delivery challenges that the product and engineering team are trying to confront. So a great example is like engineering says like, it's gonna take two sprints to, to, to build this design. You say, all right, well, let me change it. What are the constraints that you're focusing, that you're, you're challenged by? And because you can always, there are many ways to, to solve a design problem. So you can come up with a way to solve that problem in a less lower effort way. And um, that's gonna make the engineering team and the product team very happy. Um, the other, uh, example is in a, uh, a, a environment where they are focused on output. And, um, so one of the things we did at a previous company was that they, there's a North star metric, which is a really good metric, but it was too, at too high level for the design work, meaning like we could, it was hard to draw a line between what we were working on and the North Star metric. So we came up with some metrics that are sort of, you know, even further upstream to the North Star metric that would impact the North Star metric. And that's what we designed to and measured. So we could then show like, okay, if we can increase this thing, that's going to have a direct impact on the North Star metric. And that draws a connection between the value indicator that the company has identified and your work. Yeah. Which also helps the team understand that they are delivering value, Absolutely. right? Because yeah, they're yeah. designing and that North Star feels so far away. They're sort of like, what's my role here? Am I important? Does leadership, you know, management see me as important? And that's a really good Right. A really good call. Sometimes the design team, maybe just design and product team have to figure out that middle layer for themselves and align with North Star and then align their work to that to that middle layer. Correct. Correct. Great advice. And, and that goes back to us saying earlier about measuring your value. That's a good way to do it. Right. So we we did this design work. It produced this impact on this um, our metric, which then produced that impact on the North Star metric. So when you look at um, 
some of the more successful teams. Um, I'm guessing the way you're speaking, it's a pretty tight integration of product, product management, and and design. We haven't talked as much about engineering. You talked about it a little. Like, what do those environments look like? How do you help shape those environments? What are the best like? What are best practices for for getting? We talked about finding. Um, you know, somebody who can be an advocate for design work and making them successful. But maybe, as it, I don't know, with more day in and day out, like how do you get a really tight alignment between those two groups? Because a lot of times they're coming with very different backgrounds um, and maybe different purposes and see their roles a little bit differently. But I imagine that you've had a lot of success when those two, when design and product are really tightly integrated. So actually the most successful experiences are when all three are tightly integrated. Like when when it is truly the tripod and and that's sort of that's sort of a something that the product leader sometimes has to do is is to really walk the walk on the tripod and not just have it be lip service but the the times when the the squads were led collaboratively by the three disciplines have been the most successful and um a lot of times it's a matter of helping people understand that meaning like they have to experience it before they can really embrace it and a good way to do that is through research because if especially the usability testing when when um, an engineer or a product person sees someone struggling with uh, a feature that that a client then that that then nothing there's no greater wake-up call than that right that really allow, allows them to embrace the idea of a, a collaboration among the three disciplines. Yeah, creates a good em- like empathy with um, from all three sides um, towards kind of the users and the challenges they're facing, and puts a um, just puts a face to a name or a feature set or you know something you've right. been talking about for six months. All of a sudden, you see people use it, and you're like, oh wow, this is different. It's it adds credibility in the sense that. You know, there's often like, oh, it's not so bad, you know, or or whatever. You know, what I'm saying that they don't they don't really understand the true impact. But when you see it, and you hear someone who's not um, sort of your your stakeholder or your partner in development um, struggling or being ecstatic about a feature, then that's like it. You it's irrefutable. You cannot uh, dismiss that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great in terms of a tip for alignment engineering. Any any more tips on like product and, and design and like that collaborative environment? Um, I would say, you know, more of the same. I mean, I spoke earlier about focusing on making others successful. A lot of times product leaders feel like, you know, you're slowing us down with this research. Right. And um, so, you know, I, I talk about usability testing as being the gateway drug for research. Uh, it's it's a great tool to help people understand the value of it, because also you can piggyback some guerrilla research onto the usability testing. So they a see like, OK, I get it. This is like QA for the design. And then the other thing is, oh, wow, that's we didn't know that. That's really good information. And what usually happens is that they come back and want more. So if you if you try and demand it or 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 push for it, then uh, you get resistance. But if they experience it, then they embrace it. 
Um, and, and I will say that at one company that I worked at, uh, there was a lot of resistance to doing usability testing because we were on a really crazy schedule. And I had a meeting with the head of engineering who was trying to get me to agree to not do usability testing because it's going to slow down their the delivery of um, the, pro, the, the product to the market. And I said, you know, okay, I, I will agree to give up usability testing if you agree to give up QA. If you feel like if you can, if you can commit to coding it perfectly the first time, I will commit to having my team design it perfectly the first time. That was the last I ever heard about not doing usability testing. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's a good one. I like the, it's not even, a. I thought it was going to kind of be a horse trade, but it's really like it. it, it is, but it's also saying here's a trade-off and here's the implication of the trade-off on the design side by skipping validation, right. research, which is- It's helping him understand the sort of analog value yeah. of usability testing. Yep. And I think you're right that if you, can so it's going to happen towards the end of the process, right? Uh, lots of people say yeah, research is not a phase; it's something you're doing the entire time. Designers really want to focus on the early discovery research, but to your point, um, at the beginning is like uh, standing in the way of progress is is not a way forward. And so sometimes you have to give up a little bit early in terms of like early ethnographic design research, really discovery oriented, to get a little bit more into tactical delivery. Then when you get your opportunity to do the validation research, throw in some guerrilla discovery work, and then utilize that to say either, hey, we could have learned this a little bit earlier in the process, maybe. So if we'd started with talking to users, customers a little bit earlier, we could have learned this and, and saved a little bit. But I think you're, all, you're also sort of building muscle memory within the organization mm -hmm. to see, okay, this is how research can work. And then eventually, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, um, and, and this is the maybe a, a final step is people start to see it a little bit more as, oh, this isn't a more efficient way to do it than us right. talking through features and having a lot of conversations, and a lot of meetings. People love to meet, but like sometimes you can cut a little bit of that short if you're doing a little bit more sort of user research. Right. But if, if you're saying you're nodding your head. So I'm assuming the same sort of thought there in terms of like how to get it a little earlier. Yeah, everything you said, and I'll add two cliches on top of it. One right. is uh, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good and uh, better half a loaf than no loaf, right? Get whatever research you can with yeah. the idea that everything, anything you can get will help uh, grease the skids for the next time when you want to do a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And um, it's hard. I think that that's a challenge because people sincerely believe in the you know user human-centered design process and they feel like it creates better outcomes and the idea that you have to sacrifice a little bit, but it is the reality on the ground and it correlates to, you know, go back to the metrics and, and North Star sort of management perspective. A lot of times they're looking at things a little bit differently and it's hard to see that from, you know, on the ground as an individual contributor. And I think it's really the, the role of the design lead to, and product leaders, I shouldn't say, product leads to, to bridge that gap in communication and have the team understand that like, hey, we're going to, give a little bit here. And I don't know what the right words are, but, but we're going to get a little bit back and then we'll start building our case. And then that'll make things easier moving forward. You know, as you're talking, I had a, a thought that occurred to me, which is that you need to approach it as a design problem, like how to, how to get research injected into an organization. So, you know, any means necessary and as much as you can, is yeah. really what it comes down to. hundred percent. 100%. I've said on the podcast before, I tell my team all the time, we are amazing at empathizing with users, 
And sometimes we're not empathizing with the people that we're working with. Exactly. I mean, I run a consultancy, so it's like the coworkers, but in clients and then really client management. And you gotta, you don't have to necessarily always speak the language of business, but you have to empathize with what they're trying to do as a leader and believe in that. And sort of that's part of the design process. What's the challenge here? What are people struggling with within this organization? Um, I like to say that part of our role isn't always the UI. It's helping organizations or our teams move forward, make decisions and move forward. And that level of progress, um, I think, starts to build, um, again, muscle memory and the case for a proper design process, but it takes multiple iterations, which is exactly what we talk about. You know, you're kind of doing a series of design sprints, but you're doing it of research implementation and research operations. And, and internally, yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I actually believe that you always need to speak the language of business if you are a designer in a business. Uh, and one of the things I've said to teams is the dirty secret is that 50% of design is sales that you're, you're selling an idea, you're selling an approach, you're, you have, it's communicating and empathizing, as you said, and uh, trying to position things in a way that people can consume them easily. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I do say that all the time. And uh, I think I, I was just at a conference up in Toronto and, and I had this similar conversation and uh, with a design lead and an engineering lead, and they use the word sales too, and it, we're called, everyone kind of cringed. But at the end of the day, we have to communicate effectively, and we have to sell what what, what our That's right. what our kind of purpose is. What what are we here for? And we have to demonstrate the value of that. And it is a it, there are some traditional sort of sales um, components to it, for sure. So, um, Alfred, I really appreciate your time on the podcast. It's been awesome. Uh, you said a few cliches. That's totally fine. I think that helps people resonate. But you also had a ton of great nuggets along the way. Um, what are you up to now? What's next for you? What are you, what are you looking forward to, be, to, to do? Well, my main focus right now is I'm working on a book, which is how to build and create, create and, and lead effective design teams. And that is primarily targeted to product leaders. And we, we had a lot of what we talked about in the today has been about product relating to design and vice versa. Well, you know, I, I've noticed that there's kind of a donut hole between uh, early stage startup and growth stage where design teams are usually led by product leaders. And those product leaders don't have the skills and or expertise that they have that they should have to lead a design team. So the, the idea behind this book is that they can read it over a weekend and then go back to work the following week and, and have some actual tools and strategies they can use to get more value from the design team, make them more effective, but also make the designers lives better by having a, a, a more empathetic, not even empathetic, but more knowledgeable leader. Yeah, that's so, awesome. I'm, yeah, I'll just say it sounds amazing. It sounds necessary. I'm jealous. I'm not writing it, um, but I'm. I applaud you for going through the effort of, of of writing a book because it's a tremendous amount of work. But it's going to have a tremendous amount of value. And I would maybe um, I've run into we tr primarily are working with like um, enterprise level organizations. I think the donut hole still exists at big companies, which is people are leading a design team, sometimes big design teams, and they don't have the background or just the knowledge. And I think a book like this, which give people um, a read it in the weekends and some tactical output is, uh, will be of tremendous value to the community and to, to my listeners. So just want to thank you um, in advance for writing the book. I'll link to uh, your um, LinkedIn uh, profile and people can follow you there. And when the book's out, 
I'm happy to help promote it. Um, but just want to say thanks again for your time and energy uh, uh, today on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This has been great. All right. Thanks, Alfred. Take care. Bye-bye.